welcome. Uh, in case you may not be aware, we are got a new system and so we've got a few teething issues as we proceed, so please be patient and persevere and hopefully I won't be cut out too much from myself this morning. If not, I'll be loud enough that you can hear me. Amen? Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Um, I do want to continue on and make emphasis, as I have been in recent times, upon the fullness of God. And um, it's uh, amazing once you begin to um, consider such a topic, when you read the Bible, how things continue just to kind of uh, come to light and manifest themselves and you begin just to make various connections. And so uh, this is the case and uh, as I was reading Ephesians just uh, this week or early in the week. And so I want to consider the issue of the fullness of God which we know is touched upon and he says that, uh, that you would be filled with the fullness of God. And that's exactly what purpose promised for the Christian in this life in Jesus. And so, there are obviously, we've touched upon many aspects, but I want to touch upon another aspect this morning. We have made emphasis on the things that relate to us, our inheritance in Christ, our position in Christ, the provisions that God has made for us in Christ and, and we'll touch upon those things again as we'll identify them in the text but I want to touch upon an aspect this morning that relates to God himself uh, and, and not only in his purpose for us uh, as the church corporately and for us as individuals but also that which relates to God and his inheritance in the saints and what the Bible speaks about as we will consider in just a moment. But give me give you an aspect or an, an example. In Romans chapter 8, the Bible talks about those whom God justified, he also sanctified those whom he sanctified and so forth. And then it says those he also glorified. And there is a glory that is ours, that we are partakers of, that comes to us freely from being, of being in Christ Jesus. And that glory is something that we partakers of now and is something that will come to full fruition at a later date as Sam so touched upon in terms of full salvation and being presented to Christ. But yet the glory that the Bible is referring to that is ours in Christ is really only a reflection of that which is his. Amen? The glory of God. The glory of God that we are identifying with so as much as there is a glory that is ours, there is a glory this morning that I want to consider with you that is God's and exclusive to God and is, is God is seeking say, to manifest his glory and in this instance uh, it is through the church as we will see. And God looks for various expressions to manifest his glory. But one of these is which we will consider is that which relates to God manifesting his glory in the church. But I want you to keep in mind as we will consider the issue of the fullness of God because the two are connected. 
The two are interrelated, as we will see in Ephesians, and uh, God wants to us to identify it because, amen, when we abide in that fullness, God is most glorified. Can you say amen? And so the Bible says we are being changed from glory to glory. And ultimately it is his glory being manifested. And so I want to look at this dual aspect and I want to read in the book of Ephesians in chapter 3. I want to look at verse 20 and 21. But keep it open because we will refer chapter 3. But we just want to make emphasis of the particular ones. And it's interesting because uh, in relation to uh, the Allah test of this morning, we want to consider God's power. Hallelujah. Let's read. Verse 20, Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. It's good to see some people alive. Amen. If the Bible says amen, then we've got to say amen. All right, we've got it. <laughs> now, Ella touched upon power this morning and just coming into that constant contact and realisation and revelation of the power of God that manifested in Christ and how it has its various applications. We read this scripture. We quote this scripture. It's a marvellous scripture. It's just exciting just to quote it to him who is abundantly above all that we ask or think. And so just saying that is exciting. But yet uh, there is so many various applications and Allah made reference to that. And so we take this particular scripture because it's a principle of God's power and we make rightly so various applications of it in our Christian lives. Considering our present circumstances, trials, temptations or whatever it is that we may be going through, we can turn to this scripture, and make, we can read it, and quote it, we can meditate upon it and find strength and comfort and, and resources for God through his spirit and through his word. Amen. Because what a scripture it is. It has its application and its effective through the Christian and extension to the church. But you see, the, the scripture itself has a context. And it's that context that I want to consider with you because when you text in which Paul is making that emphasis and as I said remember this thought the fullness of God because it's right there in the previous verse in verse 19 if you remember and if you can recall it, uh, it comes directly after Paul's statement of this now to him who is able so he's attaching this aspect as well to uh, the fullness of God because it's God hallelujah that's going to bring us into that fullness but you see, the context of this particular scripture is that it, it is uh, related to a prayer that Paul is praying. Paul the Apostle has been writing to the church in Ephesus and he's been making all these wonderful uh, um, descriptions and giving us a revelation of God and the doctrine that relates 
various aspects of Christian faith and Christian life. And so it's a wonderful, rich letter that Paul is writing. He documents all of these things and makes reference to them. He leads him to talk about and to offer up a prayer for the church at Ephesus to whom he is writing to. You see, Paul's writing about the church in chapter 3. He's writing about the mystery that was kept from, and hidden from, 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 for many, many days until the time was arrived where God would make manifest through Christ the purpose. And this was in the mind of God, the church. Hallelujah. That time in which it would arrive and so it was revealed and then Paul begins to touch upon its purpose and he begins to make these emphases and then he enters into a prayer. But look at verse 9 of chapter 3. Because Paul here, he says, and to make all see, he's talking about himself. He's talking about how God has ordained him. How God has set him in place. And he says, in verse 8 actually, he says, to me who am less than all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach Uh, among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which uh, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. And so here Paul is making emphasis and that we have been made uh, uh, to make all see what is the fellowship of that mystery, that we would be in, in, in unison with that, we would identify with that, that we would be partakers of this mystery. And this is the mystery of the church that uh, has been birthed in the New Testament uh, through Christ Jesus. Paul says, God's made me a minister. I have been ordained in verse 8 to speak of the unsearchable riches of Christ, to speak this unto the Gentiles because Gentiles primarily had no concept or understanding of anything that related to the old covenant and the law of Moses and the promises of God and the prophecies of the prophets. And yet so here's the Gentiles, they're coming now and being in uh, to the church, into the new covenant and so Paul is, a, is, a, is an apostle to the Gentile. He says, my ministry is marked by uh, a God-given responsibility to, to, uh, to share and to make all to see to the Gentiles uh, the unsearchable riches of Christ. That they would come into a full revelation, to come to a full understanding and more than that, to come to a full experience of God's purpose and God's provision that is in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. If we go back to verse 7, he says, Of which I became a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effecting, effective working of his power. Now I want you to take note of those words. He says, uh, I'm only a vessel. He's an earthen vessel. He knows that. But the excellence of the power is not of me, he says to the Corinthians, but it's of God. And so this is reiterated again when he says that the, uh, great, the, uh, as a minister, according to the gift of grace given to me, it's according to the effective working of his power. You see, Paul is mindful of the, 
the, if you want to call it the anointing, the power of God that is in him and working through him to this particular end, which we find expressed later in chapter 3 in what has been our text. But you see the Greek word here for effective in verse 7. I want you to take note of this because it's a pattern. It's the word energy. The Greek word, we get the word English word for energy. There is a divine energy. There is a divine power. So he uses the word the effective working of his power. This was the word dunamos in the Greek. So we're we're talking about a miraculous power. We're talking about a supernatural power. We're talking about God's power this morning that can make effective his purpose and his plan, that which he has perfectly intended in Christ and in relation to the church and by extension to us as individuals. Praise the Lord. Paul is saying that I've been appointed a minister. I'm just a vessel of this power that is effectively working in and through me unto this end. He says to the Colossians, unto this end I also labour and in his, in his power that works in me mightily. See, Paul is constantly mindful of a power that is at work in him and through him to accomplish the great purpose of God and building the church. There is an energy that he possesses that's outside of his own. He has no doubt his own passion and own human energy, but what he is experiencing and operating in is far beyond himself. And he's acknowledging this power, this, this, this energy that's effectively working in him and through him unto this end to accomplish the purposes of God. You see, didn't the Bible say, Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church. And see, and it's based on that pro- proclamation. It is based on that promise that Paul is a vessel unto that end and that end alone. And the statement where Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so, because when, when God is involved, Hallelujah. When his power is manifesting, there's nothing that can withstand him. Can you say amen? Amen. I will build my church. Jesus said it. And so being a vessel to the Gentiles, uh, he is very mindful and conscious of his power that's working through him to accomplish this end. And so this aspect that we're considering speaks of the church. We're looking at the church universal, the is a build my church, the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, in which we are all part of uh, as we sit here this morning. But you see, in this, this glorious aspect, there's a shift in verse 14. Paul states these things, he's, rev- he's speaking of them in chapter 3, and he says a whole lot which we don't want to touch upon. I just want to bring the context there. And then in verse 14, he says, For this reason I bring to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in other words, because of this, because of God's plan, because of his purpose, because of his promise, and because I'm a chosen vessel, 
and because I've been ordained by God and because of this power that's actively working in through me to accomplish this, he says, uh, for this reason, I bow my knees unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And he offers and he prays. Obviously, he's praying for the Ephesians, he's praying for the church universal, but let me say this, there's a shift because he's praying now for the church in for those that make up the body of Christ corporately and now he's shifted to the individual. This, as we sit here this morning, we can make a personal application of Paul is praying because not only is he praying for the Ephesus church, not only is he praying for the church as a body, corporately, he is now praying for us individually that we would come and we've touched upon this in previous uh, messages so I'm not going to cover that again but he, let's just read it just to, uh, just to identify it again where he says in verse 15 from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with all the fullness of God. You see, how's that going to happen? How's it going to, how are we going to arrive at that? Because Paul knows that he can't accomplish it, but he's acutely aware of the power that's working in him to accomplish that. And one of the things that we, we read this as a Christian and think, oh, that's wonderful. How am I going to experience that? How am I going to live in that fullness? How can I abide in such? And you begin to realise that we can't in and of ourselves. Amen. Actually, the harder you try, the more you realise you can't. And uh, because we have our own limitations, but God in his grace, hallelujah. And in our point of weakness, amen. These, these truths are made real to us in ways that be, they become so precious that we understand and identify and experience the fullness of God. We experience when we first get saved and delivered from sin and we experience his love and forgiveness and his justification and, and all of those things that we come to experience in, in Christ. But it goes on and on and on and that we are constant partakers of, of that fullness. God is going to bring us into that fullness. Can you say amen? Because this is his plan. This is his intent. This is his purpose. And what is interesting is this, Paul is about to show us that the same power that is working effectively in him and through him to build the church and to accomplish the plan and purpose of God is the same power that's going to bring you individually into that experience of the fullness of God. So let's see, because he says in verse 20, Now, now to him, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Just lock our minds for a moment on according to the power that works in us. There is a power that is at work in the believer. Amen. And again he uses 
same two words that in, in the Greek where, we, where he says according to the power that works in us. Power is again the Greek word dunamos, the miracle power of God, the strength of God, the miraculous miracle power that comes from the Spirit of God works in us. There's, there's that word again, energy. So the same power and the same energy that is working through Paul to build the church is the same power, is the same energy that's going to bring us individually into the fullness of God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Because we are dependent, we are, we are dependent upon that power. We know in our own weaknesses, we know what we are like in and of ourselves. We know how sometimes we struggle. We know the human elements that are associated with the Christian life and yet God, hallelujah, in his power will work in us to accomplish this so that we can abide in that place of fullness. And that fullness is a diverse number. But upon these things. And what's interesting is really verses 20 and 21. See, Paul has prayed in the previous verses from verse 19 to verse 19. In verse 20 and 21, though it makes up his prayer, it's a subtle shift in which now he's offering praise to God. Now to him who is able. And he's praising God for his attributes. He's praising God for his, 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 what he's able to do and what he's going to do. And so it's understanding, as Paul does, what God wants to do and how he wants to do it. And we need to see that. We need to be able to identify that because I tell you now, church, we need God's power and we need God to work in terms of his energy being active uh, in and through our lives daily, daily. And we must grow dependent upon that. But you see, God never lets us down, church. He never lets us down. It doesn't matter what we go through and what of lives are. We can come to him and we can be partakers of this power and this divine energy that uh, quickens our mortal bodies and our spirit to make us strong in the Lord and the power of his which is what he's just prayed prior to that, that we would be strengthened with all might in the inner man. So, but verse 20 makes more emphasis than just according to the power that works in us. Because Paul uses uh, an array of words. It's so wonderful when he says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. It's like Paul can't find the exact words to describe what he's trying to say. When he's talking about God's power, when he's talking what God can accomplish in the believer, when he brings us into what he's going to bring us into, this power that he wants to make emphasis of works in us that he knows personally, that he's experiencing and seeing it operate in and around him. He's trying to find the words to find its expression and he says to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or even think. You see, we can't comprehend the power of God in this manner. We can't grasp to the natural mind that which is God. You see, God is able to do exceedingly above all 
ask or think, and you think we, we, th- we can think some pretty outrageous and big things, amen? But you see, God is, can do far above that. Even, though, uh, he, even what we ask or even think. And so uh, he's, he moves beyond that realm. And so we can ask and sometimes we don't even know what, to, uh, what we can think. But God is operating and this power is active uh, as Paul is making an emphasis of. He says, now to him who is able. Our God is able, amen? It, with, with man it is impossible. Jesus said it. But with God nothing is impossible. Our God is able. Again, this word able in verse 20 comes from the same Greek word dunamos. It comes from the same root word when it talks about the ability So as we sit here this morning, it's like Paul's trying to say, there is no reason for us, there is no excuse for us to not abide and to enter into his fullness. I like the way the, I think it captures it as well as we consider it, but the Amplified makes an emphasis where it says, now to him who by the action of his power that is at work within us is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly far over and above all that we dare ask or think infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes or dreams. You see, we're talking about a dimension of God's power that's operative and active. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. And the Christian life is about growing into Christ. The Christian life is about growing to know God more and more. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And he's already experienced that he already knows it, but his desire uh, is to, to know him more, is to experience the power of his resurrections and the fellowship of his sufferings. He makes those emphases because this is for us to experience and to know. See, the Christian life is one that is, we are to, and in essence, really, it is uh, over the longevity of years, it's something that we, we grow into and mature into. Can you say amen? Christian life gets more, is supposed to get better and sweeter. That's why uh, a long-term Christian who's grumpy and bitter doesn't make sense in, in God's economy, does it? I, I've, if, if you've met Christians, I've been a Christian for X many, many, many years and yet they, they display a characteristic of God that you go, what is that? If that's God, I don't want to bow. Is that what... Is that why it's like being a Christian? <laughs> and so, but that's not to be the case. That's a failure of what God is ultimately wanting to do within the individual. That's not an, exempl- an exempl- uh, exemplifying God's. We're not exemplifying the fullness of spirit. We're not showing the fruit of the spirit manifesting in our lives in such a way that we are uh, on display and that God is being glorified in us. 
And so the longer we're a Christian, the more we should be giving testimony to these realities that we're touching upon. And still, in saying all of this, there might be some who, who really don't understand what I'm saying and some of the things that we're speaking about this morning. But you see, if you read your Bible and seek God, you'll know what I'm talking about. You'll begin to see. God will begin to open your understanding. And over the longevity of time, as you seek God, you'll begin to get revelation and you'll begin to have your eyes open to the scriptures, scriptures that you just read and had no meaning and had no substance. All of a sudden, they'll come alive and these things will, will work in you to make you into his image, God's image and to uh, bring you into a great of, of blessing in your own walk. How do I know this? Well, one, I know this uh, for two reasons. One, because I see it in the Bible. I see it as written. When you read the epistles, you get an overall picture, an idea of the, the realities of life, the, ch- the realities of the churches and the people that Paul's writing to. Then he begins to teach upon and reveal these things and, and pray for us so that we will come. And isn't it amazing? Because at the beginning of, of, of Ephesians, as he prays for them there, he says that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened. And so but that's Paul's prayer, is that they would have a greater revelation, that they, their eyes would be opened and their understanding would be opened, just like when they walked with Jesus on the road to Emmaus uh, and uh, as they listened to Christ uh, open the Scriptures to them, the Bible says he opened their understanding. And so God opens your understanding and all of a sudden you begin to see things in this Bible that you never thought were there. But they've always been there. And as you seek God in desperation, as you pray and draw near to him, God will reveal these things to you. That's how I know. I know because now I see that they're there. And two, by experience, because I've known that uh, over the course of my journey, as I've walked with the Lord and as I've gone through the trials and tribulation and some of the uh, uh, toughest hours of my Christian life, I tell you, out of them were born some of the most wonderful things that I share with you today. They didn't come when I was on top of the mountain. They came when I was in the valley and they put me on the mountain. Hallelujah. So, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Now let's shift to verse 21. So I said to you from the beginning that there was an aspect of glory that relates exclusively to God. And here it is. And remember we're talking about the church which corporately is his body, individually is you and I. Now to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him be glory. You see, God is to be glorified and will be glorified in his church. Ultimately, there is a prophetic fulfillment in terms of the that God has for his church glorious day that will be but you see there is a glory that is to be made manifest now there is a glory that is to be on display now 
God is to be glorified in the church now. We are his body. Amen. And we are in the world, but we're not of the world. We are the church of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We are a foreign body to the world. And individually, we, we, are, we are partakers of the divine nature and we have in us Christ Jesus, the hope of glory. Glory is in us, amen. God is in us. Jesus Christ is in us. And the glory of God is to be manifest in our lives. In the way in which we live and conduct ourselves as we live and we walk in the Spirit in righteousness and holiness, in faithfulness and truth. You see, when I'm living a testimony to the reality of God and living and filled with the fullness of God, then God is glorified in me. Amen. You see, if I, this is why Paul is... He's, he, he just doesn't, you know, it's, he, he talks to the Corinthians, he says, you're, you're babes in Christ. But you see, they're, not to, they're supposed to go on to maturity. Uh, the Hebrews talks about this as well, going on to maturity in Christ. So he talks about, again, it makes that emphasis of them being babes and them needing to, be, uh, uh, to grow into Christ into maturity and this is the process because we are to be, again, in Ephesians, we are to be partakers and filled with the fullness of God because then, amen, we will give glory to God. God will be glorified in us and through us. You see, if I'm not walking and living in that fullness, then let me ask you this question, how can God be glorified? It's obvious, isn't it? And so when we begin to understand that, when we begin to see that, it's imperative that we are living and walking in the Spirit. That we are living and walking in the fullness and being filled with the Spirit, being filled with the fullness of God. And not only do we experiencing that personally, as obviously Paul's talking about, but also that is on display in and through our lives to the world around us. And God is glorified in our midst as the church when we come together, hallelujah, and he's uh, glorified uh, out into the world as they look at us and are to see the glory of God. You see, it's interesting because we can affect and we can diminish the glory of God in our lives. So I just want to just ponder this for a moment. Because, uh, I mean, Adam and Eve were created perfect. They, they, they reflected the glory of God in perfection. And yet we know that through sin that they that was, that was um, diminished, that was utterly destroyed in that sense. And so even in, our, in the Christian lives, if, if, if there's sin or if we're living in disobedience, if we're not walking as we ought to uh, in God, then, then that affects the testimony of God. It affects the glory of God because God is to receive glory in his church and he's most glorified, amen, when we're walking in truth, when we're walking in purity of heart, when we're walking in holiness and righteousness. You see, that this is what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians and he talks about the glory of the new covenant and he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. See, that's 
primarily what it is, it's the glory of God. But listen to what he says, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of God is our advocate, he is, he is operating on Christ's behalf. He is uh, he the power of God that works and he is accomplishing the building of God's church and he's accomplishing the purpose of God for the believer to bring them into the fullness of God that we may be filled with the fullness of God. The Spirit, just by as the Spirit of the Lord, we are being changed into the same image of God and to glo- from glory to glory. You see, that's why I would say to us this morning, and I want you just to think this, can, and don't misunderstand what I'm going to say here, but how can God be glorified in a defeated and depressed church? You can't. Then you'll, you'll say, well, how do you define that? And, I, and you're right. Because you must understand what we're talking about here. Because in, the, in all the eras of the modern church today, in kingdom now theology and dominionism and all that, you know, we've got to be the head, we've got to be successful, we've got to have this, because that gives God glory. No, that doesn't give God glory. Not at all. I'm talking about the glory of God being the presence of God. I'm talking about the glory of God being Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it doesn't matter what the outward circumstances are. How, was Jesus, how did Jesus glorify God? Through his death. That's when the glory of God was on display. Jesus prayed in John 17, glorify your name. I have glorified it already and I'm going to glorify it again. God manifests his glory multiple ways. God said to Peter, uh, Jesus said to Peter when he said, um, uh, when he spoke and signified by what death he would die to give glory to God. Think of the early church. We talk about the church that was born and the church that was triumphant, the church that was victorious, the church, amen, that was not defeated, that did not, that was not depressed, but yet when we look at the purpose of God in the book of Acts and we see the church being birthed and the church multiplying and growing, what does the scripture say? We see that it was there was immense suffering. There was, outwardly speaking, it it wouldn't have, it would, outwardly didn't seem like the glory of God. But I tell you this, when Stephen was being stoned and as they picked up rocks to throw at him, as they gnashed their teeth, the Bible says they looked at his face and they saw the face of an angel. They saw the glory of God in him. His countenance, his being, as he prayed, Father, Charge them not with this sin. You see, that prayer alone gives, manifests the glory of God. And so here it was in his death, God's glory was being manifested in the church. So when we talk about the glory of God, we can make various applications to that glory being manifested and on display. And God will see fit how he wants to glorify his name. That's up to him, hallelujah. But either way, I'm willing to give glory to God. Whether that's uh, to die for the Lord, whether that's to live for the Lord, whether that's to just be an example and testify to the world that's around me, but it is imperative that I'm filled with the fullness of God and that I am 
a testimony to the world and that God has been glorified in me and amen in this church because that's what's relevant to us this morning. Can you say amen? See, when Paul wrote Ephesians, he wanted to make it clear about the unsearchableness of Christ. He didn't want them to remain ignorant of God, the intent of God that's in Christ. And you can read that in the first couple of chapters of chapter 1 and chapter 2. But you see, to him be glory in the church. Yes, we are partakers of that glory. We have such an inheritance in Christ Jesus. But in the end, hallelujah, we only give testimony to the glory of God. Praise the Lord. And so God's glory is to be manifested. The scripture says, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. To all generations, every generation of the church, through the church age, as you and I are born into the generation that we were born into, we are to be living examples. We are to be the vessels of the glory of God. And you see what we, and we can be that. We, we, we are to be that. And we are to be that, not by anything of ourselves, but because of the power of God according to his power that works in us because that's God's intention that's God's purpose and if God has promised it he has made provision for it through his spirit and amen if we will if we will submit to God if we will yield to God if we will obey God if we will seek God if we will draw near to God then I guarantee hallelujah you will be a living example and testimony to what Paul is saying. And as in, think of it, ultimately we'll be glorified and that day is coming, the rapture of the church, when God will present the bride unto the Son. And again there will be another glory. What glory is coming? Hallelujah. But what glory we already have in Christ. Let me conclude with these words that I, I read and I put it in. I wanted to read it to you because what we've talked about may seem beyond in these words. It's, it says, able, able to do, able to do what we ask, able to do what we think, able to do what we ask or think, able to do all that we ask or think, able to do above all that we ask or think, able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think. And what does the scripture say? Able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works. Amen. God bless you this morning. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the word of God this morning. 
Father, for that which is written, for that which is... Make this real. Make it real. It works exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even think. Oh God, what provision you have made. What a God we serve. We praise you, oh God. We exalt your name. God, make manifest that. This morning, Lord, because we daily go through the rigours of this, make it real to us. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Okay, now we.